Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 631 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk about comic book stuff. Um, month of November is very busy on a personal basis for me, so this is a nice escape to see the world of comic books being super busy as well. Uh, so we have a ton of news, actually, for the first time in a long time. Uh, we have uh, some of the smaller studios um, making some moves. One may be beneficial to the retailers, maybe the other one not so beneficial to the retailers. Um, the passing of a true comic book legend, uh, the announcement of a new series from a creative team that gets the automatic pass for anything that they do from these two podcasters, and the official announcement after a bunch of fake-outs of a second season of a much-beloved uh, property. Yes. We have conventions this weekend. We have what we read this past week, which is uh, Gotham City Year One, Number Two, and Batman Number 129. We have what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, we also have Todd's Art Attack. The uh, final matchup in the Sweet 16 of the Todd and Joe go rogue. Todd and Joe have issues. The Silver Standard. The battle for second place. Voting that we've been doing all year. Hopefully everyone else got out and voted in the other stuff. Not just our nonsense. (laughs) And uh, discussion of the latest episodes of Andor and Stargirl. Yes. Should be a short show, Joe. Uh, sounds like a packed show. Uh, but again, we could do a lot of filibustering and make this, uh, you know, a lean two hours, you know? Yep, let's do it. All right. So uh, let's kind of hop all over the place here. It came out. So Boom has decided to make cover A of their covers returnable to retailers, not any of the other covers. Um, and that's going to be returnable, I guess, forever. Uh, typically, boom, all of their books come with two covers, minimally, an A and a B. Uh, usually it's easier that way just to list them that way. I know there's a book that's coming out this week uh, where one artist is doing like three different covers. So you can't say, oh, I want the Mike Alred cover of something. No, I need I need not this one, not that one, but this one. Sometimes like with my local retailer I'll go and I'll, you know, send them a picture if there's some disparity, you know? Right. Uh, but a lot of times a retailer or a publisher will make, like, only the first issue of something. Or something's returnable if there's some sort of extraneous circumstance. Uh, but the fact that Boom is specifically making just cover A returnable and not any of the other ones, I think is maybe, I'm guessing, to cut down on folks maybe, like, over-ordering to get those variant covers and then, unfortunately, having to sit on a bunch of variant covers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably has to do too. Like, I mean, because they were one of the companies that, at the beginning of the like pandemic, and you know, shortly after, like they made a lot of their stuff returnable, uh, like all the the covers, and you know, just to help out the retailer. And I feel, you know, now it's okay to scale it back. We're going to give you one that you could, you know, bet the farm on and get a bunch. But, uh, you know, like every cover I'm with you, I don't think, you know, I think it's fair now to kind of, 
you know, hedge their bets a little bit for the company because, you know, it could hurt them in the long run, uh, you know, have, like having everything returnable forever. So I'm fine with it, especially since it's a smaller company, you know? Right. And they do have a bunch of different properties and stuff. They have a big launch coming out later this month. And of course, we'll kind of get into that as well. Uh, but another small upstart company, uh, Whatnot, is getting into publishing <laughs> comic books. And their first book, you know, we didn't talk about when everything came out that allegedly it had over like 100,000 orders uh, at, a, at a distribution level, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of retailers were very happy about that. It's a new company. And, you know, we're going to have this really hot book to be selling in our shops. But apparently over the weekend, uh, if you were on some sort of whatnot stream, which is how they do these things, whatnot has been pitched to me as a combination of Instagram Live and eBay. Okay. Um, so what whatnot decided to do was sell this book a week early through one of their whatnot streams. Mm-hmm. So they sold a lot of them, I guess, through the whatnot stream. So... Uh, some retailers were maybe upset that, like, hey, I went ahead and I supported you guys to order this book, and then you guys went and kind of pulled the rug out from underneath us to sell it yourselves a week ahead of us selling it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's Dirty Pool, and you can only do that once, and then retailers will get on to what you're doing, and they'll cut their numbers. If not, some of them will cut them all together, but there will be a few comic, like, uh, retailers who are like, oh, I'm afraid of like losing a customer, so I'll do it. But I would be like, oh, uh, you know, you give us this this book and you tell us, you know, order it because you can sell them and everything, and then you do what you just did. I would never order again unless it was a huge chunk of my, you know, my books, which I do not think whatnot is for retailers. So I don't know, dirty pool, man. Right now, whatnot will say. That the book was originally supposed to ship on a certain day, and there was issues at the uh, printers where the mass market copies didn't go out, but they had a couple variants, Mm -hmm. and again, a couple meaning a bunch. So the variants that they were going to do at a local store signing that got canceled because the street date of the book got moved back a week because of printer issues, they just decided to go on there. And they didn't say they wouldn't do this again, uh, but they didn't seem very apologetic for doing this. And again, it's a new company getting into the comic book uh, realm, and one can only hope that they learn from their mistakes. You know, the retailers are a big piece of the uh, comic book industry, the brick and mortar, the mom and pop, the local stores, you know, people getting their books digitally or, you know, we say it all the time, digitally or mailed to them or waiting for the collections or whatever it is. Um, but if you run afoul of the local retailers, you know, your numbers are going to drop substantially. Yeah. And that's why I always say I'm leaning on is I'm getting older. There's so much stuff out there. It's so hard to like find everything. And like I always said, since previews, like, you know, kind of disbanded Marvel has their own DC has their own some summer in Marvel summer. And I'm just like, I used to love when it was all in one book. And I could like look and see what I wanted to buy. Now I just have to, if you want to know about everything these days, you have to have feelers everywhere. It's, it's, it's past me by Joe. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to say that I make uh, ordering or keeping up with my, uh, my comics difficult, but I do my best. You know, we do a comic book podcast. We try to get the news out to folks 
who may miss some of this sort of thing thing or not see some of this sort of thing. And I think it's uh, an educational process for both of us as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing that I know we won't have to worry about the orders on, uh, just, you know, tell me the date and I'll be there. Uh, when we last reviewed the last part of the uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Reckless Saga books, mm-hmm. uh, Brubaker had teased in there and also in his newsletter that his next thing was going to be something different. It wasn't going to be the next book in the Reckless Saga. Uh, well, we got the announcement of that, and it's coming out this June. I'm so sure it'll be solicited early like a lot of these uh, you know, graphic novels are. Uh, it's a book that is going to be called Night Fever. It's, again, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And uh, the pitch for it is a pulse-pounding noir thriller featuring the Jekyll and Hyde story of a man facing the darkness inside himself. And, again, that in and of itself is too much information for me right off the rip. Right. I was like, I'll take it after you told me, if you sent me the email, that here's the new Brubaker Phillips book. I was like... Oh, there's a there's a, pl- a plot summary after it. Don't need to read it. Uh, yes. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like Ed Brubaker, I don't know how many times we have to say it. It's a no brainer. He's putting out a book any way, shape, or form, unless it's like a new book for like two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, I'm gonna buy it every single time. Well, you know, if it's that's the only way I can get that new Ed Brubaker story is by that two hundred fifty dollar book. You know, we're gonna talk, pal. Right. Well, we'll see. Maybe me and you will split it, and we'll have visitation rights. You know. Yes. Um, but I will say, just from the little teaser image that we got there, um, the coloring looks very different than anything Brubaker has done in quite some time. Yes, the like the vivid blues and stuff like that. I was like, it was very interesting to see the coloring. Yep. Uh, again, it's something that he has done in the past, but it's been a very, very long time since he's had something that kind of pops like that. So that'll be, you know, I'm I'm just excited for that, you know, to have another yep. new piece of Brubaker Phillips work to uh, look forward to, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so also in the news this week uh, is the passing, sadly, uh, of Kevin O'Neill, uh, someone who I knew was a collaborator with Alan Moore. Uh, most famously, he and Alan Moore worked together creating uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yep. Uh, that's probably the thing he's most notable for. I'm sure if you're a UK listener, uh, you collect UK comics, you're a little bit more uh, uh, familiar with him as a name and familiar with his art and everything that he has done. Um, but in doing my due diligence about this, um, I read his story, or at least was in a lot of the stuff that was... Um, you know, talked about him where folks were saying that his art style was banned by the Comics Code Authority. Or it was tried to... Like, right, they changed. tried to. Yeah. yeah. So do we know, like, I'm sure it was discussed, but I did a lot of, you know, obviously with his, his passing and, you know, unfortunately he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and it was something that was known in the industry, and it was just a matter of time. It's very sad passing, of course. Um, but because this is something that literally just happened, when I try to do a deep dive of something older, I can't find anything older that goes into the story. It's all the newer stuff of his more recent passing, you know? Right. Now, don't hold me to this, but I think what it was was back when he did... Tales. He there's the three part story uh, miniseries called Tales of the Green Lantern Corps that he did with Alan Moore, 
Um, and there was one which basically is the birthplace of Blackest Night. And a lot of the stuff that Jeff Johns went on to do, which I can get into uh, about Alan Moore complaining about Jeff Johns, but I won't because this is Kevin O'Neill. But he did this like world where uh, Abin Sur had to go and the Guardians had basically locked them down because they were like these demon people. Um, not saying they were actual demons, but they were people who like they, they would make bargains with you. And, you know, it wasn't quite what you wanted. And Abin had to go there to save a kid. And he had to talk to one of them and the story ends up going on. He ends up, he's like, what's your questions? He's like, well, where's the kid? He goes and asks his kid. He's like, you got two more questions. And he ends up saying, how will the Green Lantern Corps die? Um, and that's the story of Blackest Night. And he ends up doing this and he ends up giving him some, some weird news. So Abin would use the a spaceship to fly in instead of his ring and that ended up was what made him crash and you know die in the old silver age stories because why would Abin need a ship when he had a ring and all these things were answered but the people on this were like these demon people that were crucified to like buildings and it was really bizarre. I remember reading this when I was younger and being like, like disgusted by the art in a good way. Okay. It makes me think it's that story. Um, that's what people are saying, but I cannot confirm or deny it. You know what I mean? Like you said, because everything comes up with the current story about Kevin O'Neill passing away. Right. So where the the real issue, of course, where it comes in is is the vagueness of why the comics code disapproved of it, right? As you mentioned, it is that story. It's that story that a lot of people say a lot of the ideas for Blackest Night came from, and maybe uh, he and Alan Moore were not credited for whatever the inspiration was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is scenes of crucifixion in there, and DC was like, okay, well, what is the problem? Like, what specifically is the problem? And the Comics Code's response was that they find his entire style objectionable. Yeah. And oh, when DC cool. pointed out that um, the art had previously been approved of, um, the authority, uh, the Comics Code authority stuck to their decision, and then DC printed the book without the Comics Code authority symbol, which they had done from time to time. Uh, both DC and Marvel, uh, had done, excuse me, uh, typically when it was stories dealing with, like, drug use or drug abuse. Yep, there's that Harry Osborn story. Right, and then the Speedy story in, uh, yep. Green Arrow, Green Lantern stuff. Yep. So you would get stuff like that where the comics code would object to themes of a story or what the story was about. But to say someone's entire art style is objectionable, like that's a badge of honor as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah. Where they can't even come back and give you a straight answer as to what they don't like about your art, you know? They just just didn't want to say that they were upset by the crucifixions. That's what what it was. Yeah, but still, like they could have come out and said that. And I'm sure, you know, compromises could have been made. There could have been some negotiation. But if you don't give a creative, artistic person any sort of wiggle room, any sort of rope, then, you know, you're going to get something like this. And the story ended up getting printed regardless. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, obviously this was, what, early 80s maybe? That, that was definitely a pre-crisis story, right? Or right around crisis time maybe? I want to say it was shortly after or around because that would be when he was getting ready to do Watchmen. 
You know what I mean? Or he was yeah, doing yeah. Watchmen at the time. Um, but I, again, if that didn't like take the teeth out of the Comics Code Authority, then nothing would. You know, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, and I don't even think the Comics Code Authority is even a thing these days. Or even if no. it is, like no one pays attention to it. Yeah, very few people do. And you know how you say that's a badge of honor? That's one of two that Kevin O'Neill has for me. Okay. Is that he managed to stay friends with Alan Moore all the way to his, you know, pa- sad passing. Um, because everybody else along the way that he's pretty much done projects with and they drew he's got uh, he's got beef with them and like alan gave like a you know like a nice eulogy uh, like a nice piece he wrote something on his facebook page but yeah like you go to dave gibbons like i don't want to talk to him anymore this guy i want to talk to him you know anybody he's worked with i don't want to talk to him anymore but he has nice things to say about kevin o'neill but uh maybe kevin just was like Alan, you're in charge. I don't want to know nothing. You know what I mean? I right. want those. I want that money whenever you want to work. You know. Good for him. I listen. That's I, I say. That's great for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the last piece of news, and there was rumor and innuendo going around before we recorded last week, and uh, this definitely is not a show that deals in rumor and innuendo. Um, but we did get confirmation after the show went to press last week, uh, from both the official Netflix account and Neil himself, pun intended, that, uh, Sandman has been picked up by Netflix for a second season. Um, I was worried, I, cause, but even though it did so well, you think it would be a no brainer. But I and it's not HBO Max or a Warner Brothers proper, which was slashing things left and right. Right, it was a big hit for Netflix. But Netflix was also like hemorrhaging money, and that's one of their more expensive properties. And I was like, oh, I'm not in the room with the bean counters, where it's like, oh, like well, we're we got a lot of acclaim for this and a lot of hours watched, but this is what we're paying for it. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh, it's going to happen. Maybe it's not. So when it was announced, I was like, oh, good, because I ended up, you know, like we didn't cover it on the show, but I ended up loving, loving, loving season one. And I'm looking forward to to season two. So I'm very happy. about. I was going to ask because I was asked this weekend if you had gotten a chance to see it. And I said, you know, I know Todd was abstaining from watching it due to uh, his closeness to the material. Um. So I couldn't answer for you whether or not you had seen it. And uh, I'm glad that you watched it. And I'm glad that your biases did not keep you from enjoying it. You know, Um, basically another one of the reasons, like I said, like it's, it's kind of fuzzy. Why, you know, I didn't watch it. That was around the time too, when my TV blew up, Uh I was not going to watch Sandman on a 20 inch screen. If that makes (laughs) sense. I was like, so when I got my 75-inch TV, I was willing to to buy to, to watch it. And when I did, let's just say it was thir- 12 or thir- 11 or 12 episodes. Um, when it did, I basically did like four, three, and four or whatever it was. Like I did it over three nights. And I was done. And I was like, oh, like maybe we should have like, you know, talked about this for the show. But I know you were like also were of the mind, like, you know, I only get so much time. It's like, well, I'll watch this episode or this episode. And I was like, nah, when I did it, I powered through it. And I was afraid I was going to hate it. I, I, I was really afraid I was going to hate it. So I didn't want to be on the podcast like, rah, 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 this is why I hate it. 
Uh, and right. And the other thing was because you would put a delay on it. Um, I am like, oh, well, I'll watch it with April. You know, she enjoys Sandman, so we'll watch it together. And then, as typical, we started watching it, and we never got a chance to finish watching it. And uh, I kind of made it through like a half, like the half of the show. You know, I was that was the question I was asking. So you never finished it. No, unfortunately not. Do you think you ever will? Or is oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. The plan is like we watched like the first five and a half episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, my intentions is to watch the rest of it, and if it has to end up being without her, um, then it's going to have to be without her. You know, I'm genuinely intrigued by what your take is going to be on it. Okay. Um, and- and I've been asking people who have never read the book what they think. Because I almost don't care what people who read the book think. Yeah. Because I read the book. I'm just going to make my own opinion. But, like, I asked Adam, and he lo- like he loved it. And my cousin's going to watch it. I'm like, when you're done, you've never read Sandman, you don't read comics. I want what your take on this is. So I'm always fascinated by non comic book fans uh what they think of the sandman tv show yes um uh you know i have my um quabbles about it but i completely i'm at a point where like i can understand um why they made the changes that they did why you know and obviously you had corrected me on some of the timeline stuff and a book like that a uh, story like the you know sandman i'm gonna defer to you uh, when I get things mixed up in like the order in which maybe events happened, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you know they already announced season two. I'm the last one who's watched it. I we could talk about it. At first, I'm not. I wasn't sure how I felt about them making the Corinthian like the through line villain of the show, right? But I understand why they had to do it. And once I got like two or three episodes in, I'm like, okay, like I, I, I'm, I'm, ex- this is acceptable, you know? Yeah. Oh, I get it. Like, and I will say, I don't know how far, cause you just said an episode number. I don't know how far along you are, but mm-hmm. uh, where that would be. Like, I don't know what's in what episode anymore, but I will say there are things that he changes in the book or in the in the the TV show that I'm actually I'm like that absolutely makes more sense and or is better than the comic, which I not like never say. Like I will say, did you get to the Hobgalding episode? Yes. The Hobgalding episode, the ending is better. Um, because you do that whole episode, and because they move the timeline along in real life to the year 2022, he's late for the meeting. You know what I mean? He yeah. shows up every hundred years. In the comic, the comic just goes, he goes, how dare you say, you know, whatever, that I, that we're friends. I'm not friends. I'm just seeing how this experiment turns out. Then he gets, he goes, and Hob goes, I'll see you in a hundred years if you show up. Um... And in a hundred years, because he was captured and he's changed a little, he just shows up. In the TV show, the hundred years comes and he's not there. So Hob thinks he's destroyed the friendship and he shows up and he's like better late than never. And I'm like, that's actually a better ending. Mm-hmm. That's like it puts you like on your heels as Hob and everything. And instead of just, oh yeah, we're friends. That's how the, that issue ends. And I'm like, 
that's so much better. And if you like, I don't want to give too much away because I don't know where you've seen there's, and I know something you haven't seen. I'm like, Oh, that's, that shocked me. That's a spin, but it's better. So I'm happy with some of the changes he made too. Uh, yeah. And like little time differences as to why something happened. Um, you know, like how he was kept for a longer amount of time. And I understand that that was to move things into a more current timeline, but I, I, I enjoyed very much what I saw and, I, I definitely think whether I read the book or not, because obviously you read the book more than I did. I read the book more than April did, but April still has a very fondness for the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was remembering much more stuff, and I'm like, oh, well, they just said this, so X is going to happen. But I wasn't saying that aloud. I was saying that to myself. Right. And then when it did happen, and April, like it kind of reminded her, so she has like a passing knowledge of it. I have a much more intimate knowledge of it. You have a much, much more intimate knowledge of it. But to get a property like that, a property that's like 35 years old, be able to convert it into a television show that appeals to all those different demographics of people who have whatever that knowledge of the sh- of the property is, you know? Right, yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so again, glad it is renewed for another season. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the news. Uh, let's get into some convention stuff this weekend. Uh, there is a convention out in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, Twin Cities Con. Uh, Larry Hama, Ben Temple Smith, just some of the names from uh, comics going to be there. Uh, a bunch of Rassel AEW folks are going to be there collecting that bag, as it were. Uh, Britt Baker, uh, Jungle Boy, Anna Jay, uh, and Mick Foley is going to be there. Oh. Mr. In Your House himself. He has a great birthday, by the way. Oh, he does? Yes, he does. Oh, I'd be jealous to share a birthday with Mick Foley. There's only one birthday better. <laughs> And is that Clint Eastwood's birthday? Yes, and whoever has the same birthday as that has him is very lucky. <laughs> uh, and hey, we even have a convention in our neck of the woods, the Scranton Comic Book Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Friday and Saturday, uh, they moved it to two days. They moved it to the bigger hotel in downtown. Uh, they got some bigger name folks there, uh, Ron Mars and Mark Schultz, even though I think Mark Schultz is local. Uh, but it's it's glad to see like the small con grow. You know, I remember a couple years back when this was like one room in the back of the small hotel, and now it's two days in the big hotel. Yep, um, I'm just glad like more de- uh, apparently more retailers and 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 sellers. I like that. I always thought like the Scranton con could be big because it's two hours from Jersey and two hours from New York. I mean, people drive two hours to go to New York and go to philly to see cons and stuff like that i was like if you can get some big names to come here you you could get people to show up and i'm hoping that this like does take off and goes and becomes one of the better cons because i i truly do love having it in the backyard um actually me and our our good buddy dj are probably going friday Um, okay He's, you know, the, he's the master of his own domain kind of thing with work. And I'm like, yeah, I could just leave whenever I want. The Cinnabon will run without me. Um, 
<laughs> so I'm like, hey, give me a text what time you're going. I'm probably going to go Friday because I probably won't be able to go Saturday. So. Yeah, Saturday's going to be busy. What time? Uh, again, I was going to say I could look right now. I have the, the, the link here. The link is going to be in the show notes to all the episodes mm-hmm. uh, here. So Friday is until 7. Uh, Thinking about going? No, that don't work for me, dog. What? You could make it. Get out of work. Fly down. <laughs> yeah, I could catch the last 20 minutes of the con. That's all you'll need. You, how many books are you buying? Unless they have a 9.8 uh, CGC uh, Captain Cold Flash. Flash 182? What? Flash 182? Yeah. 182. That's what you're looking for, right? That is what I'm looking for. Nothing else. Yeah. Um. Well, listen, we'll we'll get there one day, you know? Yeah. Just a it's just a busy weekend, like you said. It certainly is, but like I said, uh, let's you know we'll, we'll I'll talk to them about getting off a Weebly page, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, as Todd mentioned, two hours from pretty much everywhere is Scranton, you know. Right, not two uh, weeks, coming two to hours. The, yeah, it's two hours from everywhere, two weeks from everywhere. However you want, however you want to slice it. <laughs> right. Uh, but like I said, the links to both those conventions are in the show notes uh, with this episode. No matter where it is, you get your episodes, along with information about Soon To Be Named Network, uh, Soon To Be Named Network.com, Soon To Be Named Network.tumblr.com. Uh, we were going to talk, I, I originally wanted to talk about the possible social media purge that's coming. Uh, hey, everyone, coming back to Tumblr. We've been here the whole time. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay, people. Everything's going to be okay, everyone. That's right. Uh, but anytime any of the shows in the soon-to-be-named network go go live, don't sit around waiting two days for your podcatcher to figure out how RS, RSS feeds work. Just go to soon-to-be-namednetwork.com. And whenever Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds With Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Wings on Wings, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Porch Talk, uh, hit my music anytime any of those shows go live. You can find them all over at soon to be named network.com. Point your podcatcher there, I say. Yes. Uh, so you can go also check out some of our other friends. Uh, Mike Sterling, his blog, Progressive Ruin. I know he's on a uh, vacation this week, um, but uh, he did just celebrate the eighth anniversary of his store. Uh, you know, he worked for a store for a long time. And then he went into business for himself, brother, brother. And, uh, you know, he's been doing uh, pretty pretty, pretty good for himself. Good. Uh, you can go check out our friend Kevin's blog over at MassLibrary.com. Uh, he just put up a blog in regards to a book uh, about professional wrestler and uh, Fox News correspondent Tyrus. Uh, very interesting read there. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, FreeKarateChops.com. Uh, storeenvy.com uh, those cool resin uh, glow in the dark sci-fi fantasy wrestling uh, figures that he does um, those are really cool he's also got some uh, pins and stuff a lot of stuff that looks like the old muscle figures if you remember those right I remember those I love those I was, uh, I was thinking about breaking them out for my little niece and nephew but I'm like let me go through these and make sure some of these aren't worth any money before I start letting like babies play with them you know yeah i was never a muscle guy that was i think a little after my time yeah it was wrestling you know come on uh, that is true uh listeners of the show friends of the show 
Uh, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt both have self-published comic books. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. We have links in the show notes where you can go and buy those books directly from them. Uh, support folks that support us. Uh, you can also head over to our local comic book shop if you don't have one in your area or you don't have a good one in your area. Let our comic book shop, Comics on the Green, be your comic book shop. We have their Facebook linked up. That's where Dave and the crew do all of their big announcements, uh, upcoming books, new pre-orders, when the books have come in, if you're coming to pick up your stuff. Or if you want to find out how to get on their mail order subscription service, get your book sent to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky. You can head over to her social media, check out some of the stuff that she's done before, whether it be exclusive prints, commissions, all sorts of stuff that she does. Check out all of our friends in the show notes, every single one of these episodes. Yes. And uh, let's get into uh, what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which is Batman 129, with uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Menez. Um, Batman is, you know, hiding in Atlantis after his whooping by Failsafe. So we get the story of, like, what Failsafe has been doing, scouring the Earth, like, looking for Batman. Um, what, you know, people are trying to, to liberate Gotham. Uh you know what happens to them some some get captured some don't um he's basically keeping them around for whoever he captures for bait because since batman programmed failsafe he's not going to kill anybody at least bruce is like 100% sure of that because the whole thing is he's the failsafe if batman ever kills anybody and he supposedly killed the penguin so that's why he was activated um uh, so failsafe figures out where he's hiding due to uh, Aquaman being the only hero that's not doing anything. I thought that was really kind of cool. So he goes there um, to try and do things, but Batman has already, you know, gotten out of there. And I will say, I do like when uh, Aquaman's men are like, Hey, like, why are we doing this for like a surface breather? And uh, I don't like reading stuff out of the comics too much, but I do like this. Uh, one of his army guys is just like, you know, why should we do this? He's from the, you know, one of the land people. It's like, how many times have you saved this planet? And the guy's like, uh, that's my preposterous question. He's like, if you ask Batman that question, question, you'd have to wait while he tallied up his answer. And I'm like, Aquaman, you know, getting Batman over. <laughs> I love it. So he ends up teleporting himself to the JLA headquarters on the moon, knowing that failsafe's going to come. It's a nice place to, you know, fight him, uh, you know, alone. And then uh, he ends up dropping the the Superman two on him, doing some uh, you know reverse uh, psychology on him and 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 getting him out of there. But in the end, uh, maybe Batman left himself a lot worse for wear. And you know in the the hit like in Dukes of Hazard lore, it's like how's Batman gonna get out of this one? So um, all around, I, I am having so much fun. Uh, loving Batman and reading it every month. It's literally one of my favorite books right now. It looks beautiful. Failsafe is a legit threat to Batman, who after all these years just seems like he's got a plan for everybody but himself. You know, uh, I love it. Right, and I know we're in the middle of a story arc with this, and I say I like to say this all the time, you know, the Chip Zdarsky story arc on this, but this issue feels very much like a jumping on point. Yes, 
Um, you know, you get the Aquaman bit where Aquaman puts over how important Batman is to the DC universe. Uh, you get like a two panel thing where Batman describes the plot of what's going on and then Failsafe shows up and you get a big giant battle, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, like, if you were to count, like, however many issues in on the Chip Zdarsky run this is, like, whatever it is, right? Um, anytime that you can have an issue like this that just feels like a good jumping on point in the middle of a story arc, I think that's so helpful, so beneficial. And it makes uh, us, it almost gives, like, us long-term readers, like, almost like a breather point. Right. In the story arc where we still get the plot moved along, we still get, like, a big thing happening at the end, like you mentioned. But it's kind of like a refresh, you know? Yeah, and it's not so convoluted, like you said, that some new guy can't get in on it, or new person. It's like, oh, here's the nuts and bolts of what's going on. If you want to go back and get more information, but you could write it up from here. So it's the best of both worlds, and the fact that Chip Zdarsky... He's written, like, whether it's Batman sidekicks or uh, people in the Justice League, whoever. I have not felt that he has any of the characters wrong. He Like, every character that he does, I'd be like, give Chip Zdarsky that character to write in, his, in a solo book, and I would be 100% fine with it. Yes. Uh, I get no problems with uh, that sentiment either. So... The other book that I think we both read from this past week is Gotham City Year One, number two, written by Tom King with art by Phil Hester. Uh, So it continues in this, again, we'll just say for the sake of argument, it's an alternate reality, it's a Elseworlds, it's a whatever. It's pre-Batman, Slam Bradley is hired by Thomas and Martha Wayne uh, for the... Uh, kidnapping case of their infant daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, Slam gets himself kind of mixed up in a little bit over his head almost immediately and with the names like it being Gotham City and the Waynes being involved, of course, uh, we sure, certainly should have known better, uh, of course. The one thing that I, uh, you know, and I don't want to say was taken aback, but it was just interesting to see in the course of this uh, that we get, I would guess in this story, it's not Commissioner Gordon, but it's the commissioner of the Gotham City PD, right? Right. And he's going over um, the murders that happened and were solved in Gotham City, right? Mm-hmm. In this calendar year. And then he proceeds to go on and say how much more danger of a city metropolis is, how many more unsolved things there are in Gotham City, or in, in Metropolis versus Gotham City, and it's this whole thing of, like, this is before everything goes off the rails in Gotham City. We just take for granted that Gotham City has always been a disaster, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a good bit at the beginning, and then again, of course, we have the kidnappers, we get maybe an introduction to possibly, I don't want to say a supernatural, but definitely a superpowered element in all of this. And we get to see uh, Thomas Wayne fly off the handle. You know, we talked before about the portrayal uh, of the, the Waynes in the most recent Batman movie that came out earlier this year. How they added this new stuff that maybe Martha like was previously in Arkham Asylum and all this other stuff. 
It didn't feel great about that, and the fact that they're kind of sort of incorporating it into this particular Batman book, I don't love. But all that being said, I really like this book. I got my little nitpicks about it, but it's still a very enjoyable book. Okay, I do want to say one thing, because I think we both have something wrong, is this is not Thomas and Martha. No? Why did this I think this is Bruce's grandparents? Oh, this is the gr- oh my goodness. Okay. So like we're uh like one generation away because the daughter is uh a Thomas's Wayne's sister who goes on to be I can't think of something Kane and her daughter becomes Batwoman. So we're we're like his grandparents. So uh we're that's why I'm like we're like really old times compared to what's going on, and so I have no problem with the grandparents being weird. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Why Slam is on his deathbed, relaying the story to Bruce, who is now like full on Batman. Okay. Okay. So I just thought I'd want to you know clarify. Yeah. That. Thank you for clearing that up for me. Um, and also I'm fine. I love the big part, like you said, is the. Um, that Gotham two generations ago was a safe place to live. But then on top of it, um, I, I feel it's a bit like through a dirty window, um, seeing what it is. One is this commissioner just solving these crimes by pinning on them on whoever he has to. And then two, he's like, Oh, we're a good city because, We've got, you know, we know how to handle all the non-right people and all the non-right people are minorities. You know what I mean? So this great city isn't that great uh, because it's tainted. You know what I mean? It's a very nuanced book. And like I said, it even has in the, we've said before, it has right in the first page, like, hey, uh, just so you know, or early on in the story, it says like, just so you know. Uh, it can't, contains like you know language of racially offensive nature and other warnings in the beginning. So just so you know, if you're going to read the book, but I'm really enjoying uh, another Tom King book. Right, and you know, obviously, uh, we do enjoy the Tom King stuff, the Batman, Catwoman stuff. We might have fallen off on just a smidge, and uh, then there was like a prequel side book that like threw the Riddler in there for some reason, and I think we both passed on that one. Right, which was supposed to be like the early days of actual Batman. I was like, pass. Right, but I think that one fit more in line with the Batman Catwoman stuff. And who knows, this one might at the end fit in with the Batman Catwoman stuff, and then we'll be like, oh, what did we do, you know? Yeah, we don't know better, you know? Right, we try, we try. But this is an enjoyable book, even though I don't know uh, which Waynes we're talking about, you know? Yeah, no problem. So uh, that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every week we put up the poll post around noon Eastern time, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, uh, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the others are most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is in the lead with me with four correct guesses. I'm starting to narrow that lead, but this is going to be a tough week only because there's so many books coming out this week, right? Mm -hmm. This is a big week. This is one of the bigger weeks for both of us in quite some time. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a coin on me because I was literally going to flip a coin in regards to one of two books. Right. 
Um, but I am going to lean and I'm going to take a chance and say the book that you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Fantastic Four number one. It is Fantastic Four number one. Booyah. Now, I'm having problems with your list, too. Okay. Because there's a lot of fun stuff on the like things that could be number one. But I'm going to go, and I would need, let me see, one, uh, two, three, four. I'd need four coins to flip. Um, but I'm going to say, is the book that you're looking forward to most New Golden Age 1? It is New Golden Age 1. Uh, like as Todd mentioned, there's a lot of stuff uh, on here. You know, the next issue of Nice House, the penultimate uh, yep. issue of Nice House in the Lake, uh, latest episode episode issue of Do a Power Bomb, uh, yep. two new Mark Russell books. You know, there's a lot of stuff, but uh, and I almost passed on New Golden Age, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But some of the teaser stuff was starting to come across my timeline. Yep. And there's so much JSA stuff in this. And like, mm-hmm. duh, of course there would be. It's called A New Golden Age. But it, more like it's a DC Universe book. But it's more so a DC launching point for the new JSA book and the new Stargirl book. Yep. And I'm with you. I just want to say it was one... 1A? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like just so people know, like, the, the New Golden Age was, like, right there. I'm just going to say, um, because I do believe Jeff Johns has slipped, you know, on his writing ability in, in the newer stuff. Like, I didn't, like, I tried Flash, uh, Flashpoint Batman. I was like, eh. So I'm like, ah, that takes it away, even though J- Jeff Johns on JSA is pinnacle of comic book stuff. Uh I'm just like, oh, I'm really hoping that this new creative team could put some life back in to Fantastic Four, especially since this is the team that'll probably be on the book when the movie comes out in like a year and a half. So, right, let's see. And just as a caveat, I, you know, it's it's one of these uh, late breaking news stories. Um, hasn't hit the usual wires yet. It's just on social media. Um, apparently. In Batman Robin, Batman vs. Robin 3, okay. some copies went out missing captions on certain pages. Uh-oh. Um, that they're key parts of the story. Um, and I saw Mark Wade tweeting out about it, you know. Right. Uh, just says, uh, spoiler, an alarming number of copies of today's Batman vs. Robin seem to be missing, missing these captions. Please share. Oh, boy. Um, and people were replying like, oh, I got the digital and it's okay, um, you know, because there's multiple variant covers. Um, and they're like, oh, this one, uh, this cover was okay. This cover was missing it. This cover was okay. Um, so, you know, be forewarned, be forearmed, just double check. Um, you know, I think they're crucial plot points. You know, I I risked having the books spoiled on me and reading a uh, – certain bat person's name and code uh that maybe <laughs> debuted 30 years ago give or take a month or two right hey listen you took the bullet and you did a journalism joe so yeah i did a journalism for for the show and for the good of everything you know right now i'm gonna have to look up and see if i have the one that uh, is missing the, <laughs> the, the the caption so yeah 
Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out uh, all the uh, uh, past episodes of this show, the past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and the information about Todd and Joe Have Issues. And, you know, we still haven't made a decision what we're doing with Todd and Joe Have Issues for next year, have we? No, I think we might have a discussion this weekend if we see each other. So <laughs> Okay. Um, so this year what we did was, uh, Todd and Joe go rogue, AKA the battle for second place, AKA the silver standard. Uh, we all know the flash has the best rogues gallery in all of comics. Uh, Todd thinks Batman is the second best. I think Spider-Man is the second best. We compile a list of the bottom of the barrel, the worst of the worst of both characters, rogues galleries, put them together into a spreadsheet with the help of listener Grinch McScrooge. He put together a bracket. We're down to the final eight as of this voting, uh, the elite eight, if you will, as moving on to the next round by a narrow margin is signal man. It was tight, Joe. And I will say Dodo man was robbed. You think so? Uh, yeah. Cause I voted for signal man. I was, when it's, when it's one of yours, it's the guy that I want to be able to, uh, go on for an easy win for me in a later round. Right. I'm with you. I get it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the basis, you know, chimed in on it and, and I agree. I, I get it because he hit as a Neanderthal in the thing. Literally that character should have been dressed as a Dodo bird. Right. And if he was, that was a, that was a waddle in the first place, Joe. He wouldn't have walked. He would have waddled right in the first place. My whole gig is stealing Dodo merch. It's no good. So, right. And he and in that in the particular picture that I used, he was dressed up as a caveman. You know, yes. which gives, you know, he's a very confused individual. Um, <laughs> right. So I think it's better he sits out the elite eight. Right. Mm-hmm. So now the elite eight. Uh, we move on, and it's my turn in the barrel, and I got two spider villains against each other. It's Typeface versus Bart Hamilton, a.k.a. the third Green Goblin. Um, We've, you know, this is the third time that we're hitting some of these characters. I think Bart Hamilton had a good run, uh, but you're taking on a disgraced war veteran who has power over letters. Yes. Uh, Uh, I'm going to go. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say this is Typeface's. This is Typeface's fight to lose. I'm just going to say, I'm with Joe now all of a sudden. <laughs> that uh, Green Goblin, I mean, a Burt Lancaster or whatever his name is, um, <laughs> is the worst and lamest. Just look at him without his mask. He doesn't look like the Green Goblin. He looks like some psychologist schlub. Yeah, he's way more lame. Uh, so let's get that, that really cool character, tight face, knocked out of there. <laughs> Bart Hamilton looks like Man Cal Muller without his sunglasses on. Uh, take your word for it. Yeah, trust me on that one. Uh, so vote typeface, everyone. That's my pick uh, for my own uh, battle here. And let me pull up the spreadsheet here. Give me just a moment. Sure. Uh, yeah, so it, the way that it worked out, it ends up being, you know, like... The it's like essentially like a Spider-Man bracket and a Batman bracket, and then it's going to be a finals definitively of a Bat person versus Spider person. It's almost like we scripted it, Joe. Uh, almost. Yep. It couldn't happen better if we didn't do any of this. Right. And I'm only going to say this now, 
every week until this ends. This is the only thing I've ever wanted in my life. So people help me out here. Okay. This is it. I want to win this one. Joe's got the clout. He's always had it. Give me this one. I don't plead much. What do you mean I've always had the clout? What are you oh, talking you about? Oh, you have 3,000 followers. I remember the day you did I was like, oh, you have 1,000 followers. And you go, excuse me, Todd, 2,000 or 3,000. I was like, oh, he's, he's got the love. You have the love from those years as the anchor of the commentation station, Joe. Some would say the hate, but okay. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, listen, I, I try not to no, you, uh, I, influence the vote other than on this show. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just how awesome you are on Twitter gives you the advantage. Mm. advantage. Mr. Awesome. Well, Soon again, to be on I, Mastodon. I was going to say, I got to figure out if I'm going to Mastodon or what's the other one? Uh, so, Fubi, what is it? I, I have no idea. I'm just going to say... I honestly thought everybody was talking about the band for like a week and a half. Right. I had no idea it was a, it was a social media site. Co-host. Co-host is the other one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's what you are, so that's a good right. one for you. That's the one that I've picked, um, mm-hmm. but we'll see what happens. Like I said, I'm not leaving uh, uh, Twitter until they shut the doors, and uh, it's me and Egon Must, or whatever his name is, at the, right. the last two dopes here, you know? I'm not leaving till they ask me to. Right. Listen, I've already been banned once. Let's see what happens, you know? <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, so, hey, Todd, do we have any art attacks this week? Yeah, we do. We, do, we have uh, two kind of the same, actually, from uh, Consigliere comic and also uh, Theo Van Amelsvooter. I don't know how to say that name. I'm terrible. It is the Baltimore uh, yearbooks. Which is they do a theme every year. Um, this year, I believe, it was Scary Godmother from uh, I can't. Uh, uh, who's the artist who did uh, Jill Thompson? Uh, my my brain froze up there for a second. And in the past, they've done Grendel and Strangers in Paradise, and they get all the like uh, cre- uh, the artists who are going to be at the show to draw a, their version of some character in the book. Um, so you have all the different interpretations of the characters and then they give you a cool, uh, like sheet of paper with all the people who drew something in the book. And if you get more than like, I think it's like two thirds or half of the people to sign that piece of paper, they give you limited edition prints. Um, there has never really been a yearbook that I was like, oh, I was dying to have. I, I ended up getting the Grendel one for our good buddy DJ. Cause he was a big fan of, of Grendel. Um, but I think it's one of the coolest ideas, uh, out there for a con, especially like a, a true comic book con, like, uh, a Baltimore comic con. It's great idea. I, I love it. And I'm hoping one year there's like a Jonah Hex one and that would be awesome, but it's usually independent creating. Yeah. So that, that is super cool. Well, you know, uh, you know, I'll just throw it out there. Jimmy and, uh, Jimmy family, audio, Amanda Connor do enough other stuff that I could see them getting tapped, you know? Right. Um, to do something on that, and uh, I absolutely, if I was there a year um, that the Strangers in Paradise one was, I would have absolutely gotten that one. Uh, not a Scary Godmother, you know, isn't something, but I'm a big Jill Thompson fan. Yep. You know, I absolutely would have got that one. Um, so that's going to be something I'm going to keep my eye out in future years if we ever get back down to Baltimore, you know? 
Right. And just so you know, I don't know if you would be interested if you were going to be all get the signatures, but they usually have them if they have them left over every year. They sell like they they'll sell the remainder until they're gone. Okay. So if you were ever interested in a Strangers in Paradise one, maybe you could get one. But I know what you're saying. You'd be on the lookout for future ones. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the other uh, art attack we have was from Andy Hedder. Got a quick sketch of Carbon Knight on my comic book by Chris Ring. Superhero from Centralia, PA. Also got three prints from him. Chris uh, Ring has been at many of the Scranton Comic Cons. And I believe he, he might be at this one. Um, I'm not 100% sure I don't have the Comic-Con stuff in front of me, but, uh, yeah, I've met Chris, nice guy, many, many times. That's some really cool stuff. I really like those prints, uh, the She-Hulk, the Lobo, the Moon Knight, uh, you know, three different, very, uh, three very different coloring styles done on those three characters, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, very much a showcase, I think, uh, by the artist of what they could do. And, uh, you know, I don't know. If you believe uh, some of the other social media stuff going around today, uh, I don't know, keep that Lobo one close to your, uh, close to you, you know? Ooh, I'm going to have to ask you about that off mic. I'll tell you right now. Oh, okay. uh, so, you know, we're talking social media stuff. And uh, a lot of people going over to Mastodon, whatever. And uh, Jimmy Pistol, uh, you know, with his recent uh, promotion and so forth. The first thing that he put up on his Mastodon page was a bunch of Lobo stuff. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Could be nothing. <laughs> could be nothing. I'm, I'm or it really, could be uh, something much larger, you know? I'm really hoping he does New 52, new 52 Pretty Boy Lobo. <laughs> it's not Pretty Boy Lobo, unfortunately. Oh, hoping for Pretty Boy Lobo. Yeah. Uh so you know, uh Jimmy Pistol is a guy who like uh he'll he'll leave those breadcrumbs out there for folks, you know. We're talking about James Gunn, of course, we say Jimmy Pistol here on the show. Um but yeah, so uh, I don't know, maybe there's something Lobo talking at the office. So uh he had Lobo <laughs> on the mind. Yeah, I'm hoping they have a gunslinger soon, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I, I you do a good enough job of harassing poor James Gunn. Uh, getting your Jonah Hex stuff off the ground, you know? That's going to be my thing. I'm going to get an unwieldy hashtag going, Joe. That's the only way to do it. That's how I'm going to get my double J figure, you know? Well, any day now. Any day now. Uh, so, hey, lastly, while you're over at Longbox Heroes, of course, uh, be sure to check out our store. Uh, you can get shirts and pins and stickers uh, with our fancy logo on them. Uh, if you're going to be at the Scranton Comic Book Con, let me know and let Todd know, and maybe we'll have some for you there if you're going to be there. Uh, save everyone on some shipping, you know. Uh, yep. No sale over at the Tee Public store. Like I said, I'm postulating that they're going to do a sale at the uh, end of November rolling into uh, December, so they're kind of easing things up right now. Uh, you can also sign up for our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you get two bonus shows every month from Todd and myself. One, uh, Piro Mounties, talking about the uh, independent films of Mark Piro and previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago, this month's previous catalog. Uh, also, over on the Patreon site is full scans, high-quality 
uh, professionally done scans of those preview catalogs. Even if you don't listen to the podcast, I think it's fun to look back through those preview catalogs to see what the comic industry looked like 30 years ago, uh, 31 years ago, 32 years ago, because we have the previous years up there as well. Uh, at the $5 level, you're going to get all that stuff two weeks before everyone else. You're also going to get uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else, so you can listen to everything in the correct listening order. And if you've never checked out our Patreon and you want to get a taste of it, there might be something coming up next week to keep your eyes and ears peeled for. Yes. Uh, tease, tease, tease. Uh, last way that you can help us out is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link. It's the banner at the top of the page over at longboxheroes.com. The link is in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, no matter where it is that you get your episodes, preferably from longboxheroes.com, down with podcatchers. <laughs> but uh, some of the... No- oh, so... Uh, they, uh, Amazon, call it an advertising <laughs> fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy uh, at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases for the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody rented the 1958 film Curse of the Demon, which appears to be a, a, a black and white pot boiler crime thing, you know? Right. Uh, somebody also purchased the full season collections of both the Herculoids and Thundar the Barbarian. That is some good cartoons, man. It certainly is. Uh, somebody also purchased on DVD the sci-fi original movie Man-Thing. Oh, my condolences. Uh, somebody, well, they bought it through our, uh, our click-through, so they, they, they know what they're doing. Yep. Um, somebody also purchased the... Blu-ray, DVD, digital combo of Last Night in Soho, uh, which I've heard great things about, but, you know, it's pretty far down on the list of things for me to watch. There's somebody trying to get me to watch that, so maybe I'll borrow that off them. There you go. And uh, somebody also purchased uh, the 4K Ultra High Definition uh, edition of The Eternals, which I still have not seen. Well, you're not missing anything. And uh, speaking of comics stuff, also people have hooked up their Comicsology to our click-through and bought some uh, comics. Vanish 1 and 2, Punisher 7, Stuff of Nightmares number 2, The New Champion of Shazam number 3, Dark Knights of Steel number 8, Monkey Prince number 8, Hell to Pay number 1, and Little Monsters number 7. I like to think some of those purchasers are because we've talked about those books on the show. I would like to think that we inspire all of these purchases, every single last one of them, including the Man Thing DVD. Yes. Thank you once again. Uh, so I think that's everything for the main part of the show. Yes. Uh, let's get into our TV stuff for this week. Sure. All right. Uh, where would you like to begin? Um, I want to start with Stargirl because I believe I have more thoughts on Andor. All right. Uh, so uh, Stargirl episode nine, uh, subtitled Monsters, right? Yes. Um, so we get um, at first, maybe like watching the first half of the episode, I was thinking we were going to get like a little bit of a smaller episode focusing on like part of the cast, you know? Right. Because it, you know, like, um, Courtney comes home, and Yolanda's in the house after she gets kicked out of her house, and they have their little reconciliation bit. And I go, okay, that's wrapped them up for this episode nicely, you know? And then Mm -hmm. uh, Luke Wilson is talking to Amy Smart. I know they have character names, but that's who they are. (laughs) 
right. um, after he, Luke Wilson has come back from the Shadow Realm and the stuff about Mike's real mom and we get like her backstory and her origin and then we get a bit where uh, Luke Wilson is like, oh, maybe I should dig a little bit further into finding Mike's mom. And I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be our plot of the story, you know? Um, it's not, but uh, we do get a bit where, um, and Todd, you know how my mind uh, gets tripped up on stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. So as Luke Wilson is attempting to find information about Mike's birth mom, hmm. uh, he's on the search engine, Search SV. Right. Where you could just type in a person's name and the city they live in, and it will pull up their exact GPS location. Seems like a thing. Uh, and then Sportsmaster comes in trying to bond with Luke Wilson. And then he's like, uh, hey, buddy, what are you Googling over there? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So either we're going to use Google or we're not going to use Google. Like, he should have come in and said, uh, hey, man, what do you search SVN over there? Right. Little nitpick. I hate when they do that, when they change, like, the popular whatevers. Right. But then, like, still reference it in the material. You know, they don't show it, but they say it, right? Right. And you know how they have, like, those those knockoff names for stuff? Like, yeah. you do... Like, he's looking for his old flame. The name right there is, hey, buddy, who you oogling? (laughs) That's the name of the search engine. They should have had it as Oogle. Yes. (laughs) I think that's the dating app in uh, the the town where they're in, you know? Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, We get another phone call from Joel McHale. (laughs) Literally phoning it in two weeks in a row. Literally phoning it. He's on a wild goose chase trying to find the signal of whoever planted all the cameras around uh, Blue Valley. Um, but uh, we do get to the main plot of the show, and I was very happy with this. Uh, it is involving the Icicles' grandparents. Yep. Uh, who may be the unsung best characters on the show, especially the fact that they're like played by like actual like decrepit, hunched-over old people. Right. Which makes it even better at the end of the episode where they're doing like ninja flips and like having superhero fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to critique the uh, the fight scenes. You know, that would be a lunatic. But anyway. No, listen, because it was so over the top and outrageous that like in the opening scene, they could barely move. And they're like, you know, they sound like me getting up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And they're like ripping down parts of their own wall and doing backflips, you know, and Hitting each other with the hot mops. I'm like, all right, listen. At this cold, point, we're past everything, you know? Right, the cold mop, Joe. Oh, the cold mops. That's what it would have been. Not a hot mop. That's ridiculous. That's for right. a roof. Right. Um, but uh, the main crux of this, of course, is uh, Icicle Jr. has given up his art. Uh, the grandmother wants him to give up the art. The grandfather, who we later name his name is Sophus. Uh, he wants, he, he feels as though uh, young Cameron should embrace uh, his artistic side so much so uh, that the art teacher comes to the house as an art teacher would want to do and says that Cameron is so great at his art, I'm coming here to make a stand and risk my professional career as a teacher to say that you let him do his art and uh, it pays off with him being murdered by an icicle from the grandmother and uh, thrown in the recycling bin. Yep, of course. Which, was a, which was a fun bit, you know? Yep. 
so with that being said, um, Courtney decides she is going to tell Cameron the whole truth about what happened to his father, right? And in one of the more longer drawn out scenes where it has to be to build tension, the grandmother's eavesdropping, and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and right as she's about to tell him, the grandmother comes in and stops them. And right as the grandmother comes in and stops them, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Rick Tyler, our man, comes in. He's all juiced up from the hourglass, right? <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah, juiced to the gills. He's juiced to the gills. He comes in, and there's a big superhero battle between the Ice family uh, and the JSA. And the JSA are kind of getting roundly thrashed um, until... Uh, oh, and there's a bit in there where... Uh, uh, Beth's father, Dr. Midnight, knew Beth's father calls and is like, hey, I'm calling you from a burner phone. I can sense that you guys are in trouble. Uh, we've been studying up on the suit. You should activate the combat protocols. And she says, combat protocols? And then the suit says, combat protocols activated. Yep, but their eyes turn from green to red, so she knows she's in combat mode with Joe. Right. Uh, so as the battle's going on, uh, the old man, uh, Sophus Icicle, um, has a heart attack. Uh, the father, still in connection with Beth, says that there's defibrillators in the gloves, and she uses that to help uh, save the old man from dying, which was a nice bit, right? Right. Um, before you probably going on to like the other bit with uh, Thunderbolt and everything, um, when she kills the guy, um, when she kills the teacher... The art teacher, yes. The art teacher. That's exactly the way... That the gambler was killed by stabbed by something, but they don't know what. I think the icicle is alive again. So you think it's the icicle and not um, the grandparents are doing this because no. So oh, you think the person who's watching them that we can't see is the icicle? Maybe he's like all mangled or something. Yes, he's he's. Uh, I think it was both of them. I think when we get to the to Thunderbolt thing. It's that and the icicle. I think the icicle pulled himself back together. And we're led to believe that the grandmother stabbed the gambler with the the the, the ice thing to the chest. It's either the grandmother or Icicle is back and he's not dead, which will end up leading Cameron to realize how evil he is and disavow him and become good and join the JSA. That's just my dream booking. That's all I got. I like that theory, but like we're on like our third or fourth theory. Eventually, one of them have to be correct, you know? Right. Well, they keep they keep moving. The, they keep giving me clues, and then they <laughs> go away, and they're like, "No, see, we fooled you." And that's what they're actually trying to do. This time, I think for the eighteenth time, I have it, Joe. Right. Uh, so then, of course, we have uh, Mike and Jakeem. Uh, they have decided to uh, ditch the rest of the JSA, finish the paper out first, but go trying to help Cindy. They find a place where they think her experiments are, but they find something much worse. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is this a gorilla from Gorilla City, or is this the ultra-humanite? Oh, it's the ultra-humanite, yes. Right, so it looked very much like the ultra-humanite to me, but I, you can never be too sure with this show. You know what? It was the fact that he was a white gorilla with the red, uh, like, sexy overalls on the gorilla. 
that's the way he was drawn, especially in the JLA at like the 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 Tim and Deanie like animated universe. That's exactly what he looks like. Because, like I said, he, like it was one of those things where like he wasn't white enough, and his little outfit wasn't red enough. I so think I'm, it like, was only because they were in the dark. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I really like this episode a lot. I think this is one of the stronger episodes. And I like a lot of it was the Pat Dugan stuff with his with like he's like, oh, like maybe I met like that's like some of the heart. Like the other stuff is fun. Um, the fight in the house and everything. I thought it was one of the better fight scenes that they've done on the show. But I do like Pat trying to figure out if he should let him see uh see Mike see his mom. And I was like, okay, that's kind of the stuff I like. But anytime uh, a character has a heart attack in the show, Joe. I kind of, I kind of get icked out anymore. That's all I'm gonna say. There's only one thing you can make someone sick with that I think is worse, and maybe that's in the other show we watched. Okay. Right. So, uh, you ready to do Andor then? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So Andor uh, is basically in like like a bunch of different side stories. The only one who doesn't get a story this week is Luthen. Um, and uh, I like the fact that uh, this episode is called Nobody's Listening, which comes in to uh, play later. Uh, the, one, the one story is Mon Mothma. She's ending up like she's talking in front of the Senate. And I like this bit that the Senate has just become like lethargic it's and it's fighting itself and it's on its it's useless like mon mothma it has never looked more useless than her trying to plead her case to the senate and like we're four and a half years away from it being disbanded um in the first movie so i, I kind of like all that and after she's done her driver says hey your cousin's here she's like oh our cousin's at home she's like yeah i didn't know she was here and it turns out to be vel um, who like you know was with the resistance and or the rebellion and she robbed the, the 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 payroll. My question to you is, Joe, did we know Vel and Mon Mothma were related? No. Is this okay? This is a revelation. This was supposed to be like a shocking revelation. Yes. I'm not going to say it's super shocking, but it took me back. I'm like one for I wasn't know if if I was sure or not, but uh, I was like, okay, so this is kind of cool. They end up talking, and I like that she's. Like the, the husband, Mon Mothma's husband is like, oh, you're going to have to find a man. But at your age, I was like, oh, all the, the crappy stuff that he could say to her. But in the end, they end up having a cool conversation, Vel and Mon Mothma, about like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, you know, we can't discuss this. Like the rebel, like if the rebellion's going to happen. We're going to do it. And I do like Mon Mothma tells her like, hey, things have, are getting hot around here. Go pretend to be a rich, you know, go spend some money and be rich. Which she's basically telling him, you've done enough Batman, go be Bruce Wayne to cover your tracks for a while. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then Mon Mothma ends up talking to her banker, and he's like, listen, you took that 400000 out, like, we got to cover that. She's like, well, if I had that money laying around, I would just, you know, put it back in. He's like, well, there's only a few people we can go. And they dance around, the, you know, the, 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 the bush for a while, and then she ends up going... It's a criminal, basically. He's like, yes, you don't even want to say the name. He's like, these are the only people we can go to to cover your tracks. And now Mon Moth was going to get you know, down and dirty financially with like a, a gangster. 
The only way it would be better was if it's a hut, but they say it's from her home planet. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, um, yes, that was a bit of a surprise. Like, I, now, do you think we're going to see a hut in this or just the fact that their reputation enough is that they could say a hut on the show and we're like, OK, this is going to be bad news. Right. Well, it's not. A, I thought it was going to be a hut, but she says it's one of her own people. So oh, OK. OK. Or whatever their name is. Um, but I have a feeling we're going to see some scoundrels, Joe. I saw because of the weird timeline stuff. Mm-hmm. I saw people speculating online that it was going to be um, who, and this is going to blow my Star Wars street cred, um, who is the, like, whatever the race is, the, like, the weird, like, mosquito guy that sold Anakin to uh, Qui-Gon Jinn? You mean Watto? Oh, Watto, Andy. yes. It's not going to be Watto, but it's going to be, like, somebody from his race we're going to see. Right. Who knows? You never know. Because there's so many alien designs and stuff that were introduced in the prequels that don't exist that, like, those aliens just never show up again, you know? Right. Um, I, I, I want to see. I don't know. Because they say the name, but the name, like, you know, is very gender neutral in Star Wars. You never know what it's going to be. So I don't know what character we're going to get. Or if it's, like I said, it's probably going to be humanoid because... They said it's, you know, from her planet, but we'll see. I don't know. I I actually really like the Mon Mothma stuff uh, this week. Uh, I like all the other stuff better, but I like the Mon Mothma stuff. So moving on to like Deidre. So Deidre is going to weave in and out of uh, many people's uh, storylines. Um, basically, it starts out that she has Bix captured and she's going to end up like... Uh, uh, interrogating Bix for what she knows about Andor and all the uh, rebellion and stuff like that. And uh, she's like, you know, asks her and she's Bix is like, you're not going to believe me no matter what I said. She's like, you're right. So we're going to interrogate you. And they get uh, Dr. Gorst, who's in no way evil at all, Joe. <laughs> and he ends up explaining the interrogation uh, the way it's going to work. It's like, you know, on this one planet, there were some aliens that didn't want a fuel re- a refueling station, so we basically annihilated them, and we recorded it as proof because we're the Empire and we're evil. Um, and luckily, luckily, the murdering of their children makes a sound that drives people crazy. I'm like, wow! Like we went to like uber levels of evil, and just destroying Bix was was like visually amazing like the close-up on her eyes until she starts screaming and Deidre in this scene Deidre I I, I liked Deidre but Deidre being full-on evil like before she was just competent like she was like finding out about the rebels like here she's full-on empire evil and I'm like all right I'm all on board with Deidre you know what I mean yeah so like this was her, you know, and obviously she doesn't physically do it, but this is her getting to let her hair down and be out in the field and do the evil that somebody who rises through the ranks of the Empire the way that she does, uh, does. Um, and while, uh, Doc, what was his name, Dr. Gorst was supreme evil, um, mm-hmm. he looked too much like Review Bra. Do you know who Review Bra is? No. He's like a squirrely looking dude who does fast food reviews in his car while wearing a suit. 
Okay. You may have seen memes of him before, but every time that Dr. Gorse came up, I'm like, it's review bra. Yeah. Um, but that's all. I, I don't know. Uh, just he made Bix gorsed for wear. You know what I mean? I mean, worse for wear. Um, but uh, so I really like all that stuff. And like uh, uh, Deidre is like amazing and all this or Deirdre. Deidre. Um, so now we cut to Cyril, who's at home with his mom. And once again, I love the mother. And he's, I don't know how to explain to the tie that he wears that I keep noticing every week that I've never got to mention before. <laughs> That's just through a slit in his in his shirt. Love it. But he ends up saying like, Ma, you've been snooping on me. And she's like, cleaning, honey, cleaning. He's like, you've been in my private box and because uh, I have ways, Joe, I don't want to know what's in that private box because it's not going to be good. It's um, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, was it? It's evidence. It's evidence. I have a feeling it's his collage to somebody that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, uh, hopefully it's not my dream journal. <laughs> no, but uh, so they have a talk. She's like, oh, well, you know, and she just belittles him. This is some of the best stuff here between them. Um, and he's just like, she's like, oh, you're just, you know, a, a vague tenant. And here he's like, oh, I have to remember that. That's a new one. And they go back and forth. And he ends up saying, I got a promotion. And she's all nice to him. And I'm like, this is a real dysfunctional family. But I love it. And then Cyril goes and just basically stands out in front of the ISB waiting for Deidre to walk by. And it goes about as well as you would think. He ends up hitting her up and he's like, hey, thank you for getting me the promotion. She's like, I didn't get you a promotion. Uh, we just cleared your name, whatever that happened to you. And he's like, oh. And he ends up getting systematically creepier and creepier in this scene to the point where Deidre who has just been the baddest of the bad with Bix, is genuinely worried about this psycho. You can see it in her eyes. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, Cyril has gone down a rabbit hole of of crazy. I honestly don't think Deidre and Cyril are going to work out, Joe. I know your dream booking is there, but I think he's going to – dangerous. Todd, I think these two crazy kids are still going to get together. You think so? (sighs) Yes. Out of necessity? Yes. They're going to be forced together. In a, and do you think they're going to become fast lovers, Joe? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you think a lot of Deidre stuff is in his private box? I Okay. I made a joke before that I was like, it's evidence. It's whatever it is. Um, but I definitely think, uh, um, and g- dream journals or whatever it is, but I definitely think it's information that he might have on her mm-hmm. from the stalking that he's doing of her. Okay, fair enough. He's not stalking. He just wants to see her. It's tough. Mm. I'm just going to say, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a serial apologist, Joe. But you're a serial understander? Is that what you're going to say? Uh, maybe, maybe. So I actually thought that was a super creepy scene. So Deidre goes into like her higher ups and she gets information that uh, they've captured a pilot who has information about that. The rebels are going to attack a a place called Spellhausen, I think, or something like that. And they're like, okay, what are we going to do about it? Well, they got uh, Mr. Gorse, Dr. Gorse off there and he interrogates them and they're like, okay, but we can't keep them and we can't, 
give him back because he they know we caught him. So they concoct this plan to make it look like an accident and send them back in the ship and they'll find them dead and they could go through with this, like whatever they're going to do with the raid here. So they're doing the, a, uh, like a, you know, a counter espionage thing and they're going to try and catch them in the act. And Deidre has a very competent second in command who is Cyril's going to murder out of jealousy. 100%. Um, the glee at which those Imperial, whatchamacallits mm-hmm. had in formulating that plan was distressing. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And the leader who's like, chop, chop, get out there and do it. You know what I mean? Um, and so finally we come to the bread and butter of the show, Andor, who's in jail building widgets for the Empire, Joe. Um, I think, you know what, I, Todd, I know we don't want to know what they are. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that they're the precursor to fidget spinners. Oh, I do think they're Death Star related um, because they need people to finish up the Death Star. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to know this. I either think that or they're knuckles for a, 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 a adats. That's one or the other. Right. Um, but yeah, so they're doing that. And along the way, uh, you know, Andor's trying to. Uh, talked his name Kino yeah Kino Loy Andy Circus he's like hey like how many guards here you know what I mean he's like listen I'm not having this conversation with you get your head down and keep your mouth shut and he's like well what about this what about that and he's like listen I'm not saying anything I only have like x amount of uh you know time left here and he's like well how about before you leave you tell me everything and because because he's going to get out free and clear, Joe. Um, right? It was. Would he have forty-one uh, days or like no, they don't he say two hundred? Olaf had forty. Oh, that's right. Olaf forty-one shifts. They don't shifts. say days. They've shifts. Right. So, and I do like the fact that uh, like Kino's like the boss is like, no, I'm not telling you anything. He's like, do you even think they're listening? He's like, they they don't care about us. They turn the floor on and they make sure we do our quota. And they could give two whatevers about us. They're not listening. Two shakes, as they say. Yeah. Kino's like, I want none of it. So they're on the floor building stuff. Andor's like, you know, working on a plan to get out. He's got one of his buddies who's not ham, by the way, I don't think. um, (sighs) Like watching and they're like, they're figuring stuff out. Like the elevator's not electrified. Anything that moves isn't electrified. So that's our spots to be like, if we do anything we won't get electrocuted and he's working in the bathroom, like sawn through wires and Olaf's not looking too good, Joe. What do you mean, Todd? He looks, he looks just as good as, uh, icicles grandfather there. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he does. And, uh, he's getting confused and stuff and they're trying to like make their quota and everything. Um, and uh, like back and forth on their shifts like one day something stops and the whole place just loses power for a few seconds or like a couple of seconds. And they end up like talking, doing the hand, the, the sign language. And they're like trying to figure out what's going on. And they're basically saying like through uh, over a couple of shifts, something's happened. We've, you know, they've, they've, they've killed a bunch of people. We don't know what's going on. And they're like, it's all rumors. If we say we know too much, we might be next. If it's true, we don't know. And at this point, I give Andy Circus credit. It's the descent into insanity for him 
of realizing what's going on. And he keeps getting more and more disheveled. Um, and they end up, uh, you know, doing stuff. And Olaf ends up having a stroke moving back to the, to the barracks. And so it's Andor and Kino and they're, they're looking at him. They're like, Oh, you only have 41 more shifts. You, you know, we're going to get out of here. We're going to, we'll get you better. And they bring in the, the, the medic and the medic's like, there's nothing I can do for him. He stroked out like, come on. He only has 40 days. Like none of us have 40 days. And they're like, what? He goes, yes. He goes, what happened on one of the other levels was they let somebody go that they said somebody on level four was like, oh, my time's up. And they ended up making a mistake and putting them too close to level four. So the sign language people could see them. And they're like, oh, we don't get out of here. They just ship us to another level and keep moving us around. They made a mistake. So they had to kill everybody. And that's why the power went down. And they end up like, you know, euthanizing Olaf. And that's when Kino realizes he's like, He's like, how many people are on the, the levels? And he's like, tw- never more than 12. Like, Kino is all in on this thing. Um, I have to say this episode with, like, ratcheting up the intensity and, like, that, like not knowing what was going on. I had anxiety watching this episode. <laughs> and I absolutely love This is my favorite episode of the series so far. Uh, Everybody's – go ahead. Sorry. The, okay. I love the Andor stuff in this mm-hmm. episode. Um you know, we talked last week, so we're like, Vix is going to whatever, right? Uh, but they did their best to kind of um, make us sympathetic for Bix, right? Because we all, last week, we're like, oh, Bix is going to drop the dime on Andor, right? She's going to completely give him up. Yeah, and I got respect for Bix this episode. And that's what this episode was. This was to get us out of that mindset of, like, they're going to bury Bix so hard that we're not, we're going to have no choice but to feel bad for her when she makes the decision to drop the dime on Andor, right? But standing up to Deidre, you're like, yeah! Right. Uh, the Mon Mothma stuff, them getting, uh, what's her face? The, the cousin. Vel. Vel having that revelation. Okay. That piques my interest, but all the Andor stuff on the prison ship was mm-hmm. great. I loved it, right? So good. And there's one other important thing that you missed, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, again, I say important. Uh, oh, but it's I a have Joe to... important. I got uh, it. Go ahead. Well, again, you know me. I only focus on the real things. Uh, I have to give credit to the Uncle to Uncle podcast. Mm-hmm. As they pointed out, for the first time in any Star Wars anything, do we see what a Star Wars toilet looks like. Yep, I I actually was, I thought that too. (laughs) When Andor goes to do the bit where he's trying to cut the line and like he pulls the panel out or whatever it is, before he does, he closes it. And I'm like, that's a space toilet. (laughs) Joe's all space toy toy. (laughs) Uh, But, so it was less anxiety for me watching it and it was more seeing the subtlety of them putting the plan together where they're under like lock like they're under lock and key they're constantly being watched but still the the will the whatever is in andor that makes him the character that he is to see him still working and still working against the system and using any moment that he can 
to try to figure out that escape plan. Like, I loved seeing that all come together, whether or not it was successful or not, no matter how far we are along in the plan. I just loved seeing all that planning stuff. I'm with you. My take is what I'm trying to, like, say is, like, just the... Like it freaks me out being like, like ha- first of all, they they do a great job of ha- like showing how futile everything is in the prison for the prisoners, like you know where they put their hands on their heads like for anything. It's like we could zap you at any point, and just the like oh what's going on and not knowing is like torture for me, like in my brain. So right, that was absolutely killing me. And then the moment, just the moment when Kino flips. And gives them the information, and then their screen just goes to black with that hard thud. I'm like, this is, and I don't try not to be like that guy, but like how cinematic this episode was and past episodes, like the direction. I try not to talk about direction during the shows, but like the shot of of Mon Mothma watching Vel leave and she's going through the door, like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll never see my cousin again. And the camera's like panning back and then putting like another scene of putting the helmet on, on Bix and they only show her eyes and she's doing all the emotion with her eyes that it's painful till she screams. And I'm like, this is just, this is head and shoulders, like visually above like other star wars because other star wars are like visually well but it's all cgi battles and and laser swords and everything but i'm like this is actually like a directed star wars and i absolutely i i i i'm amazed by it that's kind of the stuff that i'm watching too you know so yeah Andor's uh, but- just been so good i don't want Andor to end at this point well, it, it has to end eventually, but they did announce it for a second season. I know we talked about that, right? Yes, yes. So I hope it all turns out well for Andor, Joe. Um, hmm. I hope those crazy. I just hope those two crazy kids get together. You know. Yep. Yep. Cyril and Deidre. Uh, but at the very least, and again, you'll correct me if I'm wrong because I know a lot of times they don't go out that far. We have three episodes left of Andor this season. I think we might. I think we might. Um. I had it up and now I lost it. Sorry. So I was doing it for um, the notes. Right. So we have three. Well, actually, we have three left of both our shows. We have three left of Stargirl and we have three left of uh, Andor. Right. But eventually we'll get more Andor. Bye-bye, Stargirl. No, actually, my apologies. We got four uh, Stargirl, it looks like. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because it looks like Andor is out to the 23rd. And uh, Stargirl's out to the 30th, yeah. at least. Next week, we'll have Andor, Stargirl, and Wakanda Forever, maybe? Right. I feel so bad. You know, it, it's Black Panther 2. It's Wakanda Forever. It's Black Panther 2. <laughs> Let me ask, is Chadwick Boseman in it? Uh, I think they acknowledge that he's uh, Black Panther, yes. Right. I have a feeling they're going to give the mantle to somebody else. But I, I still stand on this hill that people don't want to hear. Should have just recasted it. Yeah. He would have understood, you know. Um, I can't pass judgment until I see the movie. Um, I know Namor's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's all I know. Um, I think I've seen, like, a passing picture of Namor. But I, I've never seen, a, like, I've never seen... Um, moving footage of him right right you not watch the trailer i did not watch the trailer this one because i'm like i really like black panther the first black panther uh it's out of the cgi rhinos and the fight on the train at the end other than that you know let's forget about that Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I've been avoiding everything that I possibly can. Early reviews are already out of this, and I've been avoiding those and muting people <laughs> and avoiding what I can. And, um, you know, it looks as though we'll uh, get it. The fingers crossed that we should have a chance to see it this weekend. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it might be uh, a soon to be named network boys night out, maybe yeah, or maybe, afternoon yeah. out or something, you yeah, know, without the certain you know stink of a certain activity on us. This is comic related stuff, not that other show related stuff. <laughs> Uh, is is Tim Daly in this, or is some sort of shot at him? <laughs> no, no, not Wings. Wings are good, and so is the show. Football? Yeah, I know that football show oh, that we had on the network. Oh, Thankfully, you. that was a limited series. That was a low blow. If you hit me in the head, though, I have my helmet on, so it's okay. <laughs> what did, we're wrapping up the shows where we're punchy. <laughs> what did Marcus call football? It was getting CTE, uh, like uh Eight three yards at, at a time or something yeah, like that. Something like that. <laughs> I know you love that because that was the one that came through on the Twitter machine. So, oh my goodness. Uh, but I'm looking everything. forward to seeing Black Panther. Um, and I know we have our sh- you know we have our shows lasting us until the end of November. And unless there's a show that like I'm just not thinking of, after that we don't have anything until like February. Right, like ongoings. I know we have the Guardians of the Galaxy special. Right, we got the Christmas special at the end of November, but there's nothing in December and nothing in January. Yeah, and but they we used to always have those off anyway, because even when we were watching shows like Flash and or Walking Dead, they take that time off because they know a lot of people are traveling. Like that's not a good time for for uh, ratings. You know what I mean? So we well, usually had downtime around now. So we would usually have downtime, but not a ton of downtime. Uh, because what would, at least for the previous seasons of it, when Mandalorian would come out, Mandalorian, if you remember, would always be like Christmas time, like that last week of December. Yeah, that's right. And it's not until February now. So a lot of the shows would run until like that last week of November. And then Mandalorian would hit like the third week of December. So sometimes we'd get like two weeks where there was like nothing. Right. Because right. I remember Star Wars was a Christmas movie one year. Yeah. And remember, we were like, why is Mandalorian like not on a Friday this week? Remember? Right, because like, they were on Fridays and they moved it to the Wednesday mm-hmm. because the new Star Wars was coming out that Friday and they didn't want them both dropping on the same day. Yep. And then with COVID and all the movies getting rescheduled and stuff, um, I think everyone shook off like at least like the, you know, the 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 genre stuff, as you will. Right. Mm hmm. I don't think there's any of it coming out in December. Right. Um, like nothing that we um, would watch, you know? Right. Not that I can think of. If something pops up, we'll, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just look at the, and again, we're, we're killing time here at the end of the whatever, you know? Well, you're going to make it a long show, Joe. I'm doing it on purpose. That's what I like to hear. Um, but like December, I'm not seeing anything. Oh, you know what it is? And this is, so this is what shook everyone off of December. Um, cause you know, like everything kind of got rescheduled. Um, and there's a lot of like February is jammed up, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. want to talk, but, uh, everyone's, everyone stayed off December because Avatar 2 is coming out. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. And we have no desire to watch Avatar 2. So. I, I got less than zero interest in Avatar. 
I'll say this. I won't bet against Cameron, but I don't want to see that movie. Yep, it's not for me. Right, the only Cameron I bet on 100% of the time is Kirk. Oh, okay. No, well, uh, I was going to say... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, like, James, you know, has earned the right to do whatever he wants. So. Right. He he could do whatever he wants. I don't have to see it, though. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I was going to I was going to hang out to draw on your Kirk Cameron con- comment. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 631 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.